Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, just as a child delights to be with his earthly father, your disciples delight to be with you. We pray that you would make us like spiritual children this morning. We want to sit before you and hear from you things that you have for us in your word so that we would grow in Jesus together in greater dependence upon him. And it's for his sake that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 52, and you'll find that on page 851 of the Pew Bible, Mark 14, verses 26 through 52. You know, sometimes Jesus comes along in our life and puts his finger on something that's uncomfortable for us to see about ourselves. And that's really what he does with the disciples uh, here in this particular passage. And I think in some fashion what he does with us as well. Let me read for us here beginning in verse 26. Remember this is the night of the Last Supper just before Jesus is arrested. Mark writes, And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them asleep, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, And he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, 
Have you come out against me as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. It's a man by the name of Gordon MacDonald who used to be the president of InterVarsity. InterVarsity is an international Christian campus ministry. And I don't want to say this in order to drag Gordon MacDonald's name through the mud one more time, but this is a matter of public record. When he became president of InterVarsity, he was on a plane flight one time, and someone was there and asking him some questions, sort of like an interview, and he asked Gordon this particular question. Being in the position that you're in, a very prominent position, knowing that many others have failed in prominent Christian positions, where do you think the enemy might attack in your life? Gordon replied by saying, I do not know the answer to that question, but I do know one area he will not attack because it is so strong, and that is my marriage. It was a short time later that he found himself in an illicit affair with another woman, and it came out in public that he had failed his wife. My friends, spiritual pride, the declaration that there's something in us that has the resources to stand for Jesus in and of ourselves has been the undoing of Christian leader after Christian leader after Christian leader. You know it to be true. You've seen it on TV. You've probably witnessed it in your own life. And maybe you've even seen it in just ordinary, everyday Christians who have thought themselves to be so spiritually strong that certainly the enemy would not attack. And yet we know it to be true. Jesus knows this is a stumbling point in every Christian's walk as well. And so he reveals it to us here in the life of Peter and the other disciples. They went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Notice Peter's response. Even though they all fall away, I will not. It's sort of like having our new officers that we will install this coming January lined up in front of us at church. And the vows are read. And a charge is given for them to be faithful to those vows. And one of them, after the charge is written, looks at the congregation and says, now I don't know about these bozos here, but you can count on me. That's what Peter's doing. Even though they all fall away, Lord, I will not. Peter is very proud of himself. Very proud of the resources that he has within himself to remain faithful to Jesus. Friends, the last thing that we want is to be those Christians who do not heed the warning signs that Jesus gives. Warning signs about spiritual pride that could lead to our own undoing. And that's what we want to look at this morning. The first danger sign is this. Pride 
always blinds true spiritual eyesight. Pride always blinds true spiritual eyesight. We love to think that we see things clearly, that we see things as they are. But of course we know from the Bible that sin distorts and clouds our vision. The sin that we have in our hearts affects our eyesight. That is our spiritual eyesight. And we don't see things as we ought to see them. And we do that in two ways. One, it blinds us from seeing God's purposes clearly. Now, Jesus had told the disciples on three different occasions that he would be handed over, that he would be crucified for his people. And they all misunderstood what he was speaking about. In fact, the only one to really respond to him was Peter when Peter denied that that would take place. And Jesus, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. And so what we saw was that the crucifixion didn't fit into the expectations of the disciples for who the Messiah would be and what his ministry would be like. And one of the reasons that the disciples failed on this particular evening to remain faithful to Jesus and to stand by him is because their expectations of the purposes of God were all off. And because of that, they couldn't see his purposes clearly but Jesus did. Verse 27, Jesus says, You will all fall away, for it is written, and he's quoting Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Now notice who strikes the shepherd. It's not the chief priests, it's not the scribes and the Pharisees, it's not even the Sadducees. I will. Who's speaking? It's the Father. This is the Father's purpose and intention that He would send His Son as the shepherd of His people, but that He would strike the Son with the blow that is meant for all of His people because of their sins so that He would pay for them. Jesus knew what the cross was all about. And so as He looked forward and anticipated this throughout all of His ministry, and indeed on this very night as He looked to the cross, he knew just what the Father was doing. And yet, because the disciples didn't understand it, they lost perspective. And when the storm hit, they fled. And my friends, this happens to us all the time. We lose perspective when the storm hits. I've heard people say things like, now wait a minute, I'm from a strong Christian family. We have been faithful. I've, I've been in church all my life. I have been faithful to the Lord. Why would this happen to someone like me? We never expect that it would happen to someone like us. Because you see, we're, we're blinded to the very purposes of God. And we don't recognize that just as hardship came into Jesus' life or the purposes of the Father, hardship come into, hardships come into our life too for the purposes of the Father. And yet Jesus here doesn't lose perspective. When He's praying in the garden, He says, not what I will, but what you will. In other words, knowledge of the Word of God is the antidote to misunderstanding the purposes of God. We must understand the Scriptures and the nature of the Gospel itself Jesus was the most 
if you want to call it this, the most spiritual man of all of history. And yet Jesus himself knew the importance of growing in the Scriptures. As a young child, he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. He was found in the temple questioning and teaching the priests. Because he was a man who knew the importance of growing in the Word of God. And because he grew in the Word of God, he could see the purposes of God in his whole life, written across every page of his life, very, very clearly. And he wants that for his disciples too. Remember back in chapter 13 when the disciples asked about the coming events of the future. Jesus says, be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. Now, Jesus has told us everything beforehand. It's right here. Let us not be spiritually blind to the purposes of God in our life so that our pride takes over and when the storms hit, when the trials come, somehow we are surprised as if things like that don't happen to people like us. But there's another way that pride blinds us. It also blinds us from seeing our own vulnerability. Now, Peter and the other disciples were obviously very proud of themselves and had a proud view of themselves, but it wasn't just Peter who spoke boldly. Verse 31 says, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. We're not going to be upped by Peter. We're going to claim that too. No matter what happens to me, I will not deny you, Jesus. They all said the same thing. You remember what Jesus had pointed out to Peter. Truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Overconfidence has been the downfall of leaders since the very beginning of time, whether it's sports figures, politicians, military personnel, church leaders, business leaders, they have all fallen because of overconfidence. I will not fail. I will not deny you, Lord. It's like a, a warning light that's going on on the dashboard of our car. And somehow we think, well, it's not really that serious. We don't really need to pay much attention to it. But pride creates this great blind spot in our vision so that we don't so to speak, see the dangers in our rearview mirror as the enemy sneaks up from behind and attacks us, just like with Gordon MacDonald, when he thought, surely the Lord will never attack my marriage because it's so strong. And yet the enemy snuck up upon him because he thought it wasn't that serious. Think about David. King David, the warning light is flashing. The text tells us it's the time when kings go off to war, but David's in his palace. And he sees Bathsheba out bathing. The warning light in his mind has to be screaming and going off. Now why is David at home when kings go off to war? Maybe he thought, I've, I've fought my battles. I've had my day. It's time for me to sit back and just relax. Take it easy. That should have been a warning to David itself. This is the time when I ought to be out fighting. 
rather than sitting back and waiting for something to happen. And that's exactly what happened with David. You know that to be true. There are warning signs in our own lives about our spiritual vulnerability, aren't there? Most of the time it starts with our thought life. We begin to think thoughts that we shouldn't think. Jealous thoughts of other people. Lustful thoughts. We begin to think about all the things that we would love to have in life. We begin to dream, what, what would our life be like if I had all of those things? And all of a sudden, the warning light ought to be going off in our minds. These are the kinds of things that are in my heart that if I'm not careful, will sideline my faith, that will derail me. And before long, I'm denying my desire to follow Jesus. Sometimes it's something as simple as having our priorities get out of whack. It might be good things in our life, but before long we realize that we've, we've prioritized things that are not central things. They're good things, but they're not central things. They're not the most important things. And yet if we looked at our calendars and we opened our daytimer, we would realize these are the things that I give most of my time to. And so we need to see the warning lights that are going off. And the primary way that we do that is to look at the cross. Because the cross reminds us over and over and over just how spiritually weak we are because that's what God had to do to save people like us. And we very much need Jesus to help us see clearly. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Pride always derails our preparation for spiritual warfare. It derails our preparation for spiritual warfare. You know, the, the people who do not think that they are vulnerable are those people who do not prepare for the battle. My son is playing in the youth football league, and I remember sitting at a practice a week or so ago. They were getting ready for a scrimmage. Now, one of the coaches promised a Gatorade for any of the boys who recovered a fumble or intercepted a pass, and they were all excited about that. And one of the boys looked down at his practice jersey. And they were going to be wearing their practice jersey during the scrimmage. His number was 18. And he looked over at the other boy. His number was 18 too. And he began to ask the coach, Now wait a minute, coach, how are you going to know who intercepted the pass? Or who recovered the fumble? My jersey number is the same as his jersey number. And he went on and on and on, so worried about this. And all of a sudden you hear a voice from behind me in the gallery where the parents are just shut up and practice. It was his mother. And in a way, Peter could have used that kind of warning. Peter is telling Jesus, all worried about the things that he's going to do, and Jesus, you're wrong. And he's not preparing. Peter, close your mouth. Get ready. Because the storm is about to hit we're told here Jesus took them to Gethsemane, place they had been many times. Sit here while I pray, he says. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Luke tells us so much so that he was sweating drops of blood. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. That hour, Jesus needed his disciples to remain awake and watch. 
And what did they do? They fell asleep on three different occasions. Now, I can relate to the disciples here. I need my sleep. The day of our wedding, when Sally got down the aisle and looked at me at our wedding and saw my bloodshot eyes, she thought, what have you been doing? Now, I promise you, I didn't do anything wrong the night before, but I didn't get much sleep. And so I looked terrible. Every time one of our children was born, I looked the worst of anybody in all of the pictures because I need my sleep. And I can understand the disciples here. It's been a long day. They're exhausted. They're in a garden. It's late at night. And they begin to sleep. They've fallen asleep on the job. Jesus told them to do two things. Watch and pray. Why? Watch, he says, that they might not enter into temptation to fall in the time of the storm. And yet that's exactly what they did. They didn't realize that they were without the strength necessary to resist the temptation to flee from Jesus and to abandon Him. And so rather than preparing in that time, watching and praying, instead they fell asleep. My friends, how diligently ought we to watch and to pray each and every day that we might not fall into temptation. Now, I'll just tell you, I'm as guilty of this as anybody. But overcommitment in life, being busy, 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 is a statement of spiritual pride. I don't need Jesus that much. That's what overcommitment says. That's what being too busy says. I can keep going, keep pressing harder, do more things, get it done. And in those times, what we are not able to do is to watch. Because we're too busy getting it all done. Feeling as though we're, we're not worthwhile if we're not getting more done. So we keep working harder and faster and doing more things rather than simply watching and praying. Paul Miller writes this about prayer. He says, learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers a less busy heart. If you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all that you need in life. And that's what the spiritually proud person thinks. I don't need Jesus. I just need to keep working harder. And Jesus here warns the disciples, watch, pray. We need to prepare as much for our spiritual lives every day as we prepare for our jobs, as we prepare for vacation, as we prepare for education, as we prepare for anything. Because it's the thing that will last forever and ever. And Jesus says, watch and pray. Now how do we do that? We look out for the dangers. We look out for the sins in our heart. We look out for the idols of the heart that, that begin to percolate and that foster that, that thought life that is not righteous and holy. Sometimes we need to be thoughtful and watch out for hardships that might be coming our way so that we're not surprised by them when they happen. And all of a sudden we stumble in our faith. At other times... We need to be watchful for the successes in life. 
Look how much success David had. Saul killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. He secured the borders. He built a palace. He had a wonderful kingdom. And then he fell. Friends, that's what Jesus is saying here. Watch out. Watch even for your greatest successes. And pray. See, those who understand their spiritual vulnerability are like Paul. They pray without ceasing because they know in a moment I could stumble. And so they give themselves to prayer. And what we see with Jesus is the clearest example of just what we're talking about. Here it is, the, the hour of His arrest. The time of greatest trouble for Him when He's sweating droplets of blood. And what is He doing? He's praying to His heavenly Father. What does His Father do? Luke tells us that His Father sends an angel to attend to Him, to give Him strength in the hour of need. My friends, when we go to Jesus, He is our great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. He has felt that weakness. He has been there before. And He knows just what to do. And friends, He is able to send all the resources of heaven to come to our aid, that we might be able to stand and be faithful in the day of trouble. And so he wants us to prepare for spiritual warfare. Finally, this pride, unfortunately, always leads to failure. The time of crisis has come. Jesus' arrest, his betrayal. And what did the disciples do? Look in verse 50. They all left him and fled. Now that's a parallel to they all said the same thing. Everyone who declared, I will not deny you, all left him and fled. So much so that Mark gives us this little snippet, verse 51 and 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and and ran away naked. Now, Many scholars, for a number of reasons, think this is Mark describing himself. And here he is. Maybe he's hurried out that evening to see what the commotion is all about. And all he has is a linen cloth cloaked about him. And as the the soldiers seek to grab hold of him, he throws off the robe and runs away naked. He flees like everybody else. Spiritual pride always ends in failure. And that's what Jesus means for us to see. It's what Mark means for us to see. That pride always goes before a fall. Eventually, spiritual pride exposes itself at some point and reveals just how much it needs God's grace. Because none of us are Jesus. And none of us can remain faithful even to the point of the cross, like He could. The gospel of grace holds before us this great reality that spiritual, uh, that vulnerability leads to spiritual failure. It declares we cannot do it. Jesus must die for sinners. John Stott, who was a pastor and theologian, gave this great quote. Every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to be saying to us, 
I am here because of you. It is your sin I'm bearing, your curse I'm suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place like Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. Friends, spiritual pride, it blinds us. It inhibits us from preparing for life as a disciple following Jesus so that we don't watch and we pray and it leads to faltering. It leads to failure. You ever wonder why Jesus told the disciples ahead of time that they would all leave and deny him? You ever wondered that? Why did he tell Peter? Peter. I think so that when it happened, they would be exposed and they would begin to understand just how much they need the grace of the gospel. Just how much they need Jesus to go forward for them. Here he is going alone to the cross. There's no one left to stand by him. And that's exactly what all disciples need. We need Jesus to go forward. We need him to be strong for us. So that when we begin to see our own weakness and frailty, we look upon Jesus. We look upon the cross and we say, He is all that I need. Let me rest in Him. So that I see myself clearly. So that I see Him and His glory clearly. So I begin to prepare. Jesus, give me the resources that I need. So that I might not fail. Walk faithfully with Him. My friends, that's our Redeemer. And that's the grace that He offers. And it's to Him that we must look. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we thank You for the grace of Christ that is sufficient for every poor sinner. And we are all poor sinners. And yet out of Your abundance, You have given us all things necessary for life and for godliness. Lord, we ask now that You would help each and every one of us to see ourselves as we are, to prepare for the day in which we will endure many trials, and to call upon Jesus that we might not falter, but that we would be faithful. Thank You for His grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.